0: I'm Dave Finocchio, founder of the Cooldown and Bleacher Report. And I'm panicked that I'm going to sneeze as much on this podcast as Howard did on our bus in Ireland.
1: So we're in our padded room. Sound is fantastic. It's good to be back. We are in uh, Octoberish 2022. The VIX is 400. The Dow is at 40, <laughs> down from 40,000. Uh, your rubles, that your big ruble trade is working. My uh, U.S. dollar trade is working. The world's gone to hell in a handbasket. And because the markets are in turmoil, we're going to completely not talk about them today. Because we had Jim on last week, and how good was Jim? Oh, fantastic. So you can't top Jim. No. So we have to completely go in the opposite direction for someone uh, insane and smart, um, but someone who probably doesn't care about the market because he is focused on building a new startup. You meant insanely smart, right? Insanely smart and thin. He has a 32 waist. Huh. Take any guess. I had that at I say 32 12. ways and you go, well, it's none of your friends. <laughs> uh, it's nobody over 40. Um, so I was... Uh, Golfing with my friend Greg Bettinelli, who is actually an investor in this company, which immediately made me suss. Uh, but but Dave, our guest, overcame that on uh, a long bus ride. But the I was uh, I've lost my point already. But we were in uh, I was on a a mancation a, a adventurecation for a month, and Dave, who was uh, he will tell you this, but you know how people look at me canoe. They meet me. I look terrible, I, I never smile. And immediately immediately people size me up and go, not gonna be friends with this guy for six days golfing. <laughs> and then by the end of a stay with Howie, people go, I miss him. Huh. Do you find that true? Somehow that you warmed your way into their hearts. Well, that's yeah. the way I perceive it. I don't know, it's kind of like Larry Day. I don't know this, but that's how I walk away from after I spend eight days with people. I can't wait for my phone to ring because people miss me. Well, I think you should continue believing that. Yeah, Dave has not called me, but he has followed me on Twitter, so that we're halfway there. <laughs> so, so my guest today is Dave Finocchio. That is his real name. I think he spells it like Pinocchio. I think his parents are comedians, maybe uh, or Irish. Um, but like I said, this kid is unbelievable. He he started the Bleacher Report. Um, back when interns were slaves and you could have slave labor. We can talk about that later because that's how the world worked back in 2000 and under George Bush, uh, whatever the GB Jr., whatever you called the guy. And um, sold that, was acquired. Sorry, I don't like saying the word. So the, the company was wanted and acquired. Every every kid today sees Bleacher Report uh, when they're watching sports. Um, was acquired in, in 2012 for north of 200 million. So he's got some he's got some cash enough to afford Bonobos size 32 pants, golf pants, canoe and a hell of a golf swing. So we're going to talk about that too. But anyway, sold that been advising no sports inside out, Meaning he's 39, I'm 57. He knows more about the Blue Jays 90s team. I's on a bus ride with them than I know and I was a super fan back at that time. Huh. So obviously he's as someone who started the Bleacher Report, he knows a lot about sports, loves sports. He's the encyclopedia. He's finickopedia, I, I was calling him, <laughs> on sports. Anyways, super interesting because I know you and I have talked about this. I'm fascinated by what's happening in this market because new trends are emerging. And I am uh, constantly in search of new trends. And part of my concern as a 57-year-old uh, some, uh, white chubby uh, male um, size thirty four waist. That uh, I don't know what's going on out there. And sure enough, we're sitting on the bus, and I'm like, "What are you working on, uh, Dave? Dave F. for 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 the for for this podcast?" And Dave F. goes, "I'm working on a product called the Cool Down. He's got a new startup." And I go, "What's the Cool Down?" And I don't want to butcher it, but it's fascinating because he's taking everything that he's he's learned in sports and media over the years and applying it to climate change. And, huh, and so, exactly what I said is who could be less interested in climate change than Howard? And by the end of the conversation, I was like, oh my God, this is genius. And uh, so I invited him on the podcast. So these are my first Irish trip guests. We've had Greg on the show, uh, Bette and Ellie, but uh, I immediately pinged Dave and I said, Dave, you know what? Can you come talk about the cool down? And he said, yes. So let's uh, get Dave on. Uh, by the way, Canoes, everything okay with you? Absolutely great. Your hair looks good. Not bad. Uh, not a runny nose. You have no cough. Your eyes not twitching. <laughs> what? You've fixed yourself <laughs> up. You've had a rough year. <laughs> oh, so, okay. uh, but everything's okay. Kids are good. All good. All right. So let's get Dave on the phone. Dave. Howard. Thanks for. It's so good to hear your voice. Yeah, so so you, what's your interpretation? You spent eight days with Howie, you played one round with me. I don't know if that's because you lobbied against playing two or three with me. What, what's your interpretation after seeing uh, the vulgarity and and uh, hilarity that is Howie?
0: Yeah, I did lobby, um, and I guess fairly fairly effectively, I, I guess. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I begged to
1: you, play with you, by the way. So yes, you lobbied well.
0: Yeah. Um, well, the you described the life cycle of of getting to know you really well. Um, I remember, I remember when I first got to to know you. You were sitting down, and I uh, it did strike me that based on how you were you were speaking in a seat, I thought you would be shorter. So I, I do remember <laughs> when you when you stood up, you ended up being taller than I sort of imagined you being. Um, so that was a first impression. Uh, I remember that you sneezed the literally the entire bus trip. Yeah, that I had we COVID. Spent- it was we so slow that many, no one else got it. Yeah, um, we spent many many hours. Did you actually have COVID? No. Okay, but He's I was fighting
1: a cold, and I didn't want anybody to know. But it sounds like my gigs up.
0: Yeah, I mean, based on your sneezing, it wouldn't wouldn't have surprised me in the least. I think I one morning I gave you a uh, I gave you the choice between Zyrtec, Claritin. and oh, right, D, you
1: saved me that day. And I
0: brought I gave you some Dayquil as as well. You killed it. Yeah, yep. but no. By the end of the trip. Um, one, I mean, one, you totally stopped me in my tracks a couple times with jokes where I, I had no response whatsoever because uh, um, because you're very witty and uh, and two, yeah, I've, the last week and a half I've just had a little bit of Howard withdrawal. Um, it's you 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 got me um, by the by the end of it. I wanted to spend more time with you.
1: And I think the trick is, I appreciate that. The trick is, I trying to live if I'm trying not to bring other people down. So when I when I agree to do something. It's a hundred percent, you know, and I was sick. I had come off this crazy long trip and so many different weather things. and then you hit Ireland. I just can't believe people live there. <laughs> and within 10 minutes, I was sick, right? Like you just eight, there's eight temperature changes in the first half hour in Ireland. And I was a sauna. I was cold. I was a windshield. <clears throat> so I was sick, but I fought through it. I thought is, you know there's no one to complain to so i asked you for some sort of tech He came through and somehow it passed it was definitely i did a COVID check no covid uh and uh i'm glad i really struggled what did you find the hardest thing because i think you had been to ireland or you hadn't no it was my first time so what was your takeaway because would you go back and did you enjoy it
0: yeah 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 i enjoyed the hell out of the whole trip um i thought I thought the golf courses around Dublin that were in Ireland were uh good, but I probably wouldn't travel there again for them. But I thought the I thought the golf in Northern Ireland was spectacular. Like I was in once we got to uh to Royal County Down and even even Ardglass the day before Ardglass, I crazy. Ardglass you, you and I had plans to to buy Ardglass for, for about seven minutes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We
1: were gonna do an NFT and then we realized no one that's has right. NFTs.
0: That's right. Yeah. Nobody has NFTs, but it was, our heart was in the, the right place on yes. it. Um, but I, I was like the last four days of that trip, I was in heaven. Like I thought it was so cool.
1: Yeah. it's like walking on the moon as a golfer, like the moon that is golf. If, if some people think the moon is cheese, we think it's a golf course. It was like walking a bit on the moon. I found that the LA guys really struggled. I don't know how, many, you know, you can tell people what the weather's like, right. And you could tell them how to dress and then they just won't do it. It's like, don't touch the fire. And they show up ill-prepared for the win. Like, and w- that was funny. Like, people just don't understand the conditions can be that bad to play golf. All right, so, so the cool down. You give me... You know, we'll go back in time to Bleacher Report because it's incredible. Like fun to have built a brand, I imagine, because you know I've been trying with Stocktwits for twelve years that that survives, not just survives but also grows. So kudos. I mean, I'm always fascinated by that. But
0: thank you. You're
1: you're out of retirement or semi not retirement, but out of like you're back in the game, and that's hard because it's not like you weren't successful, and you know what the grind is like, and you know that you don't want to go small because you wouldn't take outside money if you're going to go small. So what is the cool down and how did it start?
0: Yeah. So the cool down is, is, uh, is our attempt to build the world's first mainstream climate brand, which I'll, I'll sort of, I'll sort of back into Uh, I, I left bleacher report in 2019. I ran the business for the better part of 14 years as you mentioned, I, I spent a couple of years advising and investing. Um, one of the things I did was I, uh, I spent a lot of time with the founders of the Athletic and helped them get through to their their sale to the New York Times, and so get sort of kept a toe in the in the sports waters. Um, but I, I I sort of knew in my gut that I didn't want to do another like I didn't want to do the sports grind again. Um, it, it was great, but just sort of hard for me to ever imagine that being as much fun doing it again as it was the first time. And I, I over the last probably seven or eight years, uh, got really passionate about climate, um, probably because I, I lived in San Francisco and we started to have uh, smoke in our lives, um, which if you haven't lived through it, if you're, you're breathing smoke every day for weeks at a time, we were having kids also in a way that overlapped with that. So We had babies in a house that, uh, that were breathing in smoke. And I, I sort of thought, shit, um, I, th- I sort of figured that a lot of these things would start to happen when I was old or maybe <laughs> when, my, when my kids were old, but um, this is happening now and it's impacting our lives. And the way I've responded to it initially was just to learn as much as possible about the problem side of climate and then the solution side of climate. And I figured it would be a little bit boring, but I did I did want to sort of get up to speed on all of it just to be an educated person on the topic. And uh, I ended up finding it to be like way more fascinating, um, the whole world like way more interesting than than I ever figured it would be. Um, but then the next sort of step in my evolution was I realized, kind of with a Bleacher Report lens, that the content that's out there today, most of it is is delivered and packaged to people in a way that um, is not resonating with them. Like it it is boring to them, where it's it's written for intellectuals who subscribe to the New York Times um, and it's not so much sort of for your uh, for your sort of more average mainstream person in the US who's maybe noticing extreme weather but the light bulb hasn't totally gone off yet about what's happening and uh, I think we're talking about you know the transition of billions and eventually trillions of dollars that are going to be spent on uh, certain types of lifestyles and on certain products that are more wasteful to to other ways of doing things that are cleaner. And uh we're trying to build something to help people, you know, figure out what's right for them and their families in that mix and ultimately accelerate some of the transitions. Uh so that's that's the gist at a high level.
1: And are you the sole founder?
0: No, I've got two co founders. It's too hard to do it on your own. Um, I'm a I'm a big believer in uh in in some shared weight on these projects.
1: And by co founders is it equal 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 or a specific type of co founder?
0: Um, I have a co-founder who, named Anna Robertson who is running content for us. Um, she was Diane Sawyer's producer um, very early in her in her career. Like she traveled around with Diane, um, like in her early twenties, all over the world, uh, um, going after the world's biggest stories. And then Anna later built the video team at Yahoo and did a bunch of strategic stuff at Disney. And uh, and she's just a person who's really, really passionate about climate, had been doing a lot of work with National Geographic and with um, with ABC News on sort of the meteorology side. So she and I connected and uh, I really needed to find a content person who understood, who was passionate about climate, but understood how to speak to mainstream audiences. One of the big problems in the climate space, I think, is there's sort of an, an echo chamber where like climate People who who are climate converts mostly just talk to each other, and they don't really understand why why nobody else um, is is as uh, incensed and, and has the same sense of urgency that that they do. So we've got to figure out how to talk to other people. Um, so she she's very well versed in that. And then my other co-founder is a guy named Ryan Alberti, who uh, was the first non-founder employee of Bleacher Report, and uh-huh. he's just a super badass operations guy. And actually, Ryan. Ryan helped one of my Bleacher Report co-founders start uh, Bustle, which is a, <laughs> a media company focused on women's entertainment. And then, uh, and then afterwards, Ryan uh, Ryan's always been a high-performing person. He uh, he was like the best student in the history of my high school, and then he played football at Princeton. But when he was thirty-four, he uh, went into the army and uh, um, got into Army Ranger School, and then spent five years. Um, as an army ranger and did tours in Afghanistan. And he's just, uh, he's wired differently than, than most of us. But I I like having people around who are not just sort of talkers. Like if you're doing a startup, you got, got You need people who are going to walk the walk and uh, nobody walks the walk more than, than Ryan does. So yeah, we've got a, we've got a really good leadership team um, with some interesting backgrounds.
1: Yeah. I, I like to tell people like, you know, we were in this kind of, and you were, working at Bleacher Report through this and helping The Athletic. Um, but we we got a little soft. And it's, it's never anybody's fault, right? It's not our fault that uh, the iPhone exists. It's not our fault that kids have an iPhone. It's not their fault, I mean. It's not their fault uh, that the Fed was easing for 20. You know, like, it is what it is, your product or your environment. But, you know, great founders do stand out. And I think we've gone through this period where I've been quiet about investing just because it just you know things were so rushed you had to make decisions in 10 minutes and I just I don't know I, I was starting to believe that maybe that's the way it's, it's going to always get done and then sure enough the markets do their thing and now we're back to where oh my god you realize that these are like 10 to 12 year projects nothing's changed uh, there are moments when things change but nothing's really changed it's going to take forever to build great companies you did it 14 years of bleacher report um, there's hardly any shortcuts and therefore, um, you have to back people that just stand out and you, you stood out to me. Was it, is it, how did you decide you want to do another startup versus just backing other people? Cause you were investing for a while.
0: Yeah, I did. I did almost 30 deals over, over a couple of years with, uh, with some partners and I, I sort of did that just to see different stuff because I'd been so focused on sports for a, a long time. I like I and I also I don't know if other founders feel this way, but I, I felt like in the first half, even the first ten years of my Bleacher Report career, I was a reasonably creative person and I was a was a pretty good problem solver and innovator. In the last like three years, especially, um, I felt like my brain was a little bit going to mush, um, just like. I deal with HR problems and budget problems and just like stuff that I wasn't that passionate about. And uh, I sort of have always, um, I don't know, I've I've said this to myself over the years and I've said it to other people in, you know, both real and sort of bullshit advice conversations. But I, I like building things. That's sort of when I'm happiest. There's I think there's no better career journey I've been on than when you you try to build something and you pr- find product market fit and then and then you actually get to scale it and it grows like when that happened at Bleacher Report it was the most fun I've ever had in my life like you just like it was unbelievable um, to care about something that much and then to have it actually work and so life's too short I wanted to take another stab at doing that and I wanted to it was important to me to do it around something that I I was really really passionate about because I'm I'm somebody like as a student, I was a, I was a good student, but not a great student, Um, but I was a great student in subjects where I actually cared. And I was an okay student in subjects where I I didn't care, but I just sort of had to do it to check the box. So I'm not somebody who's just going to like go after a great business opportunity um, because I see, you know, some, some attractive numbers on a spreadsheet. I I need to do, do something that my heart and soul is in like more days than not. Um, So that. That led me to really looking at the climate space, and I looked at it long enough to th- to sort of conclude, uh, yeah, I think there are going to be some big, at least a couple of big digital businesses built that are are sort of around climate in one way or another.
1: And I'm looking through companies the investor. are any of them, are you interested in investing in the climate space too? Because now I'm starting to see, SACA has a fund. I haven't invested directly in a climate fund, but I'm getting pitched a few now finally. And I don't know enough about the sector because this is the first idea I actually could relate to um, as a somewhat media person. Um, so, does that interest you in other ways? Have you invested in the space or is this the first go around completely?
0: Uh, no, my wife and I have invested in climate companies directly and also we're investors in a couple of climate funds, uh, um, specifically seed stage funds and climate. And we've been doing that for at least a couple of years, maybe maybe three or so years now, but you're right. most of the there there's a shitload of v c money in climate right now, and the the money has poured in especially over the last two or three years. But most of it's in sort of deep tech mm-hmm. and i you know I'm biased, but i I think that c- sort of communications um information advice, whatever you sort of want to call that space, a lot of people refer to it as storytelling. Um, which I don't think is always sort of the best descriptor, um, but that that part of the puzzle I think is incredibly important here. And there aren't as many funds that have been looking at that, so I'm I'm trying to change that and prove that there is uh, there is now a massive audience for people who are looking for climate content, and that there are pretty attractive businesses that can be built on top of uh, of significant audience and and then you know significant engagement and community around all their all sorts of climate adjacent interests that people have. And uh, one of the challenges we have, honestly, is staying focused because there's just so much we could be doing.
1: Right. And so, and there's just a lot of money for the right media company right now because all these climate companies that get VC money, that's what I liked about it, are going to have to spend money to build awareness. In the end, it's like crypto companies, like, yeah, you can joke about it, but eventually they'll be buying ads on Google and Facebook to promote their domain. There's just not enough organic growth out there for anybody ever. Even Google eventually does TV ads. So now let's flash back to you're probably 22. So were you in school when you started Bleacher Report?
0: Yeah, I, I came up with the idea in January of 2005. So I just started my second semester of my senior year and uh, and then I started working on it basically right when I graduated. So yeah, I was twenty. I guess I was twenty one
1: when uh, when we got going. Where did you go to school? I went to Notre Dame. And so you have this idea venture was it was a bear market basically for tech. Web two hadn't really started. You were at the frontier of Web two. Uh, was it not knowing anything and just loving sports that was the trick at the beginning, or was it the way you could? You know, create slave internship labor. What was the hack that worked? That because you know, it it just seems so simple in hindsight. But what was the hack? You know, because it is a very hard business. You
0: know what, Howard? I think we hired at least by the time I left. I think we had hired over a hundred people into Bleacher Report into full time jobs that started as interns. So it is true that we had a lot of interns, um, but we also we basically, anybody who was good, we basically hired them. So say say what you will about that. Um, but uh, No, but could you do
1: of, it again today the same with, way?
0: With that playbook? Definitely not. Definitely right. not. Yeah, no no chance.
1: And and what was it about, I mean, you love sports, but what was it that made it work at the beginning? What, Like you said, you had that hockey stick moment. What, I mean, yeah. I, I love, no, like, no, no, I've I never it. had I that. It. I've seen it in other companies and I've been lucky to invest in it, but I haven't had hockey stick moments. So yeah, what, what sure. is it? What does it feel like and what was it?
0: So there were two reasons I started the company. One, I thought I was on a college campus and I thought that people my age were really stuck with sort of our dad's and granddad's sports sites. I thought that I thought that the ESPNs and Fox Sports and AOL Fan House and Sports Illustrated and blah, blah, blah. I, I just thought they were really out of touch with my generation. I thought the digital sports content was really boring compared to what what it could be. Um, It was nothing that was sort of shareable. Uh, Social hadn't really happened yet, Um, but there just needed to be something for younger people. And then I was was an economics major, which leads to like how we got really got going. Um, And I was taking really cool econ electives at the time. And I just sort of saw the world through the lens of supply and demand, like everything. And it it just really seemed to me like there uh, were certain sports topics that were incredibly undercovered. So there was a shortage of supply of that content relative to demand. And then there were other topics that were really overcovered. And so that was really my business thesis that, hey, like if we look at all this sports data, we'll find that certain leagues aren't getting enough coverage or certain events or certain teams. And we ended up, um, you know, we we were we tried to raise money at a time when content companies were viewed in very, very poor light, sort sort of like they are now. It's kind of come come full circle. Uh, we got going at about the same time that the Huffington Post did. Uh, they they had a little bit of an easier time raising money because they had a front person, an Ariana Huffington, and then VCs looked at us and they're, they're sort of like, "Yeah, you guys, um, I, we don't think you're idiots, but you're you're total nobodies. So <laughs> this is this isn't going to be possible." And I, I remember one VC, who somebody I I like and respect a lot, saying, "Hey, um, you guys might be onto something here." But there are just too many competitors in your space. And there's just no way that you're ever going to get bigger than these incumbents. You've got a giant in ESPN and then all like, you know, listed off 12 other players and said, unless you unless you have a top five audience in the space, you are literally worthless um, because advertisers are only going to spend money with yeah. you if they have to. And that's the definition of have to is top five. So I got laser focused on audience growth and I, I was able hmm. to build... Um, large, uh, and in the beginning we had no money, their blogging was very popular. So we were able to recruit bloggers, college newspaper writers, um, and other people to write about sports for free. Um, I ripped off, totally ripped off. Uh, it was a big halo player, which was a very popular video game at the time. And they had this awesome, uh, let like status system for how you'd level up, you know, basically the more, the more you played halo, the better you did on the game, you'd get better and better status. So I ripped off their status and leveling system to do, do the same thing for sports writers. And people went crazy over it because they they just kept writing because they wanted to move from having a status that was like writer to senior writer and then analyst to senior analyst and you know so on and so forth. And we had this incredible badges and leveling system. And we, we did get a lot of people to create a lot of content for, for free. And we were able to tap them into sort of our, our, we were very good at data and we were able to basically tell them, hey, if you write about this, you're going to get a ton of audience. And we also helped them with other things like we helped them get press credentials and and uh, sometimes interviews. And and we helped where we could. But for the first four years of running Bleacher Report, we did not pay any writers. Um, so we had it was essentially all a contributor model for four years. But, you know, the supply and demand side, we were creating content. I'm uh, about like the NFL draft year round because there was interest in it year round, um, and there was huge interest. Hmm. Like the day after the NFL regular season ended, there would be millions of people searching for the term NFL draft order. Because if you were like a Raiders fan at the time, and maybe you had the number one pick in the draft, that's when fans would want to know, okay, who are, who's the new, who are we going to get at quarterback? Who's going to turn this team around? So we were just sort of realists about how sports fans actually wanted to consume their sports versus sort of, you know, the status quo that uh, ESPN or others had fallen into because of, you know, they had broadcast deals and they had to promote this league and that league to make, you know, make various folks happy. We we weren't beholden to any of that. We, we just tried to create the best experience we could for especially sports fans in their 20s and a little bit younger.
1: Fascinating. So it takes off... The world was it Twitter that ha- like what was the platform that really helped you? We really
0: started with Google, and we got a lot of Google traffic. And then our big thing was actually newsletters. We created a newsletter for every major team and every major league, hmm. and uh, and when somebody would land on, say, you landed on a a Bleacher Report article about the Red Sox on uh, through Google. We would pro- we were probably the first media company that prompted you to sign up for a newsletter. We had a newsletter pop up. Yeah. I, I think I think we came up with that first, and we got a lot of people to sign up for newsletters. And then we invested a ton of time into making sure those newsletters were awesome. So we at our at our height, uh, the the best performing newsletters were always SEC football newsletters because those are the most rabid fans <laughs> in the United States. We yeah. had. Um, our auburn and alabama newsletter at times had 20,000 plus subscribers with average open rates of over 70%.
1: Whoa, so it was 70. So it was
0: it, it was bananas. Um because there was no competition and we we had a clear value proposition which was that we we would do the hard work for you and we would curate any valuable article or information about that team um, so you didn't have to go looking for all of it yourself because this was before you know, before Twitter took off, it was before anybody else was sort of thinking about content curation. And so we just did it really, really well, especially at a team level. And that was that was when Bleacher Report really started to become, um, I, I, I think it's when we hit our stride.
1: And so you stay on, I have a million questions, but I want to move this along. So I'm trying to think what I could be, how much did you end up raising in your seed round? I want to give entrepreneurs a perspective of what life was like pre-social networks. Uh,
0: the way we thought about it back then, we raised a hundred thousand dollar seed round, and then we raised a one point four million dollars. Pay for some
1: engineer shoes today. Oh ergonomic yeah. No, was, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Hundred thousand dollar seed round, one point four million Series A, which is, Series you know, A at what val? Like
1: five million, ten million? No, our
0: our our pre money on the Series A was. Three or three and a half.
1: Unbelievable. So you gave away like fifty percent of your company.
0: No, 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 no. Maybe I'm sorry, maybe I'm but we sold. 30%. We sold thirty percent in our in our series A. Yeah.
1: And you're still okay, so this is why I want to have some context. And it was it was
0: fine. Everybody made a lot it's of money. Fine. But, yeah. That's yeah.
1: what I'm trying to explain. I don't know where the script got lost. You you were on the investor side, so I don't want to be the old guy whining, but I just want to give a little rant about this. You just said it yourself with no prompting. You did fine. You worked we did, fucking we did, hard. We did, we did great. You yeah. probably don't like your VCs, but you do. But I'm just saying you probably don't. And you don't have to <laughs> chime in. I don't know who they are. But what no, I'm saying okay. is we, that's the way yeah. investing works. Adults, because you were an adult, you might not have known anything. You made a decision. You're going to work your ass off. You love what you did. You were passionate about what you did. You took a lot of no's. And when it happened, you're not looking back. You're saying you did fine. Today, So what was the transition like to a world today where kids want 20 pre and two years of runway before they even start? How do you, how do you, like, that's my problem because I was doing checks when you were doing it and I thought the world was fantastic and things to me are like completely bonkers right now. So how do you put that in context as a guy who's only 39?
0: I mean, as an investor the past few years, yeah, I also thought it was bonkers and, uh, you know, I try to put my my jealousy issues aside a little bit, because um, <laughs> I don't think it's I mean, jealousy. It's, it's like
1: you, it's about being a professional and understanding the math. Why is yeah. why is math a jealousy question? Well, like just-
0: um, it's and we, I, I looked at deals, you know, strictly that were more reasonable, and we didn't do any of those, you know, super crazy inflated valuations, unless unless you know the company really really looked like it had huge potential and we just had to get in and, you know, whatever. But, uh, um, yeah, I, even when I raised money for, for this last company, uh, I, I had a target for where I want, what I wanted the pre to be. And I didn't want to go over the target and I didn't want to go under the target. I wanted it to be a specific number because I wanted, I wanted a good setup for the next round. And, uh, you know, I, I did not want to sell, you know, 33% 33% of the of the company from the onset. I thought I could do a little bit better than that, but I, I also didn't want to sell, um, you know, 15% and have some crazy valuation that would then be hard to justify down the road. Um, it, you see it in all, all sectors, but in, in media, and I don't want to call anybody out necessarily, but there, a bunch of our peer set in the media mm-hmm. space raised money at massive valuations and have been, you know, working their Going asses. Off just out. treading water yeah, for hundred years. And um and so I'm I'm very conscious of of not putting – like I like optionality and uh and I I don't want to put myself in that or, or my team in that in that situation because it's it's not fair to anybody.
1: Yeah. I think I stocked towards two thousand eight. I raised sixty on six hundred K. Oh, what a schmuck. <laughs> and uh Oh did I say that out loud can it I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I have Tourette's <laughs> when I talk about myself. I'm, I, I'm only complaining about me being stupid, right? Like, there's not enough people on both sides explaining how math works. And you can make a lot of money on a multi-hundred million dollar exit. And uh, I think Things are priced where you just don't have this optionality i really worry about that and it's not like i want to be negative it's just like i think we've lost that perspective of what 200 or 100 million is or 300 million is. everything became about a billion and that era is over and no it's just like wily e. coyote it feels like everybody's spinning their wheels on a cliff
0: but don't you um, think in two years everybody will sort of get or within 18 months everybody will get used to the new normal on that
1: i hope i mean i think Uh, I've already been waiting 14 months, so that would be like 32 months for me. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not an expert. Like, I thought I understood the markets coming from the public side to the private side. Uh, The world made sense to me in 2005 when I started making seed investments. I did Golf Now and LifeLock, so I was probably... I wish I had been pitched your idea back in the day, but you were so young and I wasn't a a professional investor, but I just thought, like I did Allie Insider at six million valuation and that was high because Henry Blodgett um, was a name, even though he was barred from the industry. I mean, you know, that felt high to me. I had originally offered Henry one on two uh, by fax.
0: He was, I'll just say, he he was very good at paying close attention to, uh, or somebody on his team was at, at all the things we were doing and. And they yes. were, they were very good at applying the lessons.
1: Yes. Fred used to get mad at him for changing of his headlines, you know, cause Fred used to be open about letting Henry take his blog posts and posting them on Ali Insider. And Fred used to get mad going, you can't change my headline. So yeah, Henry was an expert and that worked for me as an investor and he built a great team Frommer and, and, um, Wiesenthal and, and just a, like a murderer's row of business writers. Um, and I assume did you launch any really famous writers at Bleacher Report? Ooh, uh we any re- it depends really
0: famous. Uh one of the there's a guy named Matt Miller who's now one of the most famous uh NFL draft experts. He's now with uh Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper on ESPN. Um but he started as an unpaid contributor and just worked his butt off and I don't know, he probably makes a million dollars a year now. Um so we we ha- we had uh had a bunch of people Start as unpaid contributors that went on and either for Bleacher Report or other publications uh, made, made plenty of money. But Matt's probably the, the guy who started tru- truly in the, cool. er- in the early days. Yeah.
1: He's, and he's great. Yeah. So, so I have two kids, 24 and 23. You're 30. How old are your kids? Four and six. Okay. So when I, four and six. So when I grew up and I, you grew up where?
0: I grew up in uh, San Jose, California.
1: San Jose. So when I so when I grew up, you know, as a Jewish person in Toronto, lawyer, doctor, account. So now that my kids are not lawyers, doctor, accountant, I feel like I did my job. Like that was an era of the past. Right? Uh, you being an entrepreneur and and seeing the world today with TikTok and we'll get into TikTok and how a media company is built today quickly before we end, um, what is it that you want your kids to do? Oh my gosh. Uh, No, but I'm saying like, I'm so happy because I feel like my son, who's a a great golfer and is in the PGA program and I'm, and we were talking about five iron golf, which you're an investor in and it's fun to know someone like you who's like hip with the brands and my, you know, my son's teaching me stuff. And so, and my daughter's just unbelievable, but she's not being a professional. She's working in a healthcare company and I worked at a startup before. What is uh, a dad of a four-year-old and six-year-old worried about for their kids?
0: My attitude as a parent is I, I want my kids to get exposed to a bunch of different stuff and find something that they're passionate about. I don't really care what it is. Maybe there's some things that I you know care more about than others. But um, uh, once, they, once they find something they're passionate about, I think we'll push them to excel at those things and put their heart into it. But right now, the only thing I, that, that really matters to me is that they find something that they care about and then work hard at it. Like what it is, I, like I'm, I'm certainly not going to pressure my kids to be a doctor or a lawyer or go down a traditional path. Um, I have too many friends who did that who are maybe not, you know, the happiest people in the world. So uh, I don't know. I'll tell you in a couple of years, but that's where my yeah. head is
1: now. Fascinating. If you were to do a sports start, you, you didn't want to. Is there, a, you know, ath- did athletic come to you as a startup or did they some a VC put you in there as an advisor?
0: No, I got to know them. Uh, <laughs> they were uh, truthfully they were considering taking money from Time Warner Investments, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I I think I earned their trust by telling them this is when I was uh, running Bleacher Report. I, I I advised them against taking money from a strategic, and I said, hey, like stay at a seed guys- stage. No, 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 no. This later. was this was later. Uh, yeah, but, I, but okay. I just said stay stay neutral, and I think I earned their trust a little bit and. And then when I, when I left Bleacher Report, you know, we had some meetings and, and uh, there were some clear things I could help them with. So that's, that just worked out. Yeah. But if I was doing a sports startup right now, I I think the answer is I, I wouldn't. Um, I, there's, I'm sure there'd be plenty of people who figure out how to make money on sports, but I, I have a hard time with sports because um, young people are just not consuming it the same way that they used to, huh. and it's. I think sports is it's turned into an ARPU game where you've got. I, I sort of view it as the leagues have figured out that they're not going to make money on young people anymore. Um, they're because making money why they don't watch TV? If they they're substituting away to YouTube, different social media. Yeah, um, yeah. they're just TikTok, so, snap. Yeah, they're more. There's so much more. There there are a lot more options these days than there were when when I was a kid. When you were a kid. So um, when I say it's an ARPU game, sports leagues are essentially just finding different ways and down on the chain to raise prices because you've got a whole generation of, a couple generations of people, my generation on up, who are essentially addicted to sports. It's an inelastic good for them um, or cl- close enough. And uh, and so they'll sort of pay whatever. And I, I, you know, it's just, I was really excited about, and I went when I was in sports about making sports feel as magical to younger people as it they did to me when, when I was a kid. And I, I, I'm a little, uh, you're jaded. I'm, I'm a little jaded at the moment and I hope it changes over time, but I'm, you've become
1: the guy that passed on bleacher report. Um, maybe, maybe I have, but I, you know, <laughs> no, I just, which is good. Like you're the, not doing it. Like yeah, you, the, there's one thing, there's one thing to just complain about and another thing to switch topics, which, you know, which is, I, luckily in finance and stocks, I haven't had to because nothing's yeah. 20 years ago am buying the same shits. I think there's a million ways to do stock twits again, you know. So whereas in – because the markets are always changing, whereas in sports, what's changing is the medium, not the game. Yeah, and, and you know,
0: bet, betting is changing. Well, uh, that's true. Uh, but, betting. I'm, but I – I don't love the betting business as much as some the sports betting business as much as some people do. But do
1: you gamble? I don't gamble. Do you? Yeah, I, I can't I, follow it. It's so complicated. I do. I have a
0: um, I I have a little fund that I run with uh, um, with four college friends, and uh, yeah, we. We make bets. A two together and twenty a fund. fund,
1: or you just share I, you the money. Know, I,
0: I have proposed doing a two and twenty fund because <laughs> I've had I've had people offer to put real amounts of money into the fund. Wow! And my my friend, who's sort of like the commissioner of the fund, who's also he who's also a VC, uh, has said no fucking way. Um, we're not we're not going to yeah. do that. We're Good just, decision, and he's right. He's a hundred percent right. But it'd kind of yeah. be fu- it'd kind of be fun to have more money. But, It'd be uh, yeah. fun, but stressful.
1: It's it it, don't it's it's over. It's over uh, glorified the June twenty. Yeah, but,
0: but I don't I don't want my day job and the, my purpose in life to be signing people up to bet on sports. I'd rather do something
1: else. I, well, I want to talk about golf at the end, but we're we're, we're here. It's two thousand twenty two, two thousand twenty three, almost. And did you see tick, like TikTok did acquisitions? How do they do it? Um or what is I, it about TikTok that you, you like and dislike or, or or is it going to be as relevant in 3 years as it is today? Yeah. 2 years.
0: I mean, I one thing that that I saw and talked about years ago was just that like there needed to be something social around dance. Um like like people people who mm-hmm. are great dancers like like basically having a having a great time um doing moves. Like that I I think it was I think there were signs on YouTube and other places that there was real potential there. And I Mm -hmm. think TikTok just created um, an optimal you know, creation plus consumption format to sort of, uh, you know, and they created they created a culture around people doing that. And there are lots of other things that happen on TikTok these days as well. But like it's unbelievable. the, The dance, the dance thing to me. Um, and there's all, there's, you know, there's just like the hot girl thing, which is a time, yeah. you know, that's, that's yeah. a I time. I end up with strategy. young Filipino
1: boys on, on any time I spend. Yeah, weird. Algor- algor- <laughs> algorithms are, are pretty, uh, you know, <laughs> I think, I think it's they're broken. pretty solid.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's weird.
1: Customer support is not answering my huh. request. So with TikTok, when will there be a platform for old people like me that just like sitting on a coach yelling at things? Or does that exist? Ooh, yeah, no, is that's that a, Twitter.
0: That's a good one. I think that kind of is Twitter. I think the <laughs> no inter- wonder I love Twitter. I think the interesting thing with TikTok will be, uh, you know, and so the the sort of instant scroll. You know, Instagram just tried to rip off TikTok by doing Reels, and now it's. But my like wife's they're... using
1: it, so I. I no, no, I, no, no, uh, no. I,
0: my point is, I think I, I think, think it's what... working.
1: I think everybody wants it to work like TikTok, but I think it's working on the on the people that were already addicted to. Yeah. Facebook. We'll, Instagram.
0: We'll, yeah, we'll see. They seem to be downplaying it a little bit. But I think the, the thing that we've seen early on with Instagram reels is that our, our engagement on a reel mm-hmm. is not is near it's not it's yeah.
1: super low. I'm watching my wife do it while we watch TV and I'm like, I can't believe she's doing two things. You can't do two videos. I can't listen to a podcast and do work. I can't watch a TV show and on- I'm we're watching Bad Sisters yesterday and she's on reels the whole night. I'm like, Are you watching? I go, You're missing everything. She yeah, does I'm watch- I can't stand I that. Can't, how can you fucking do two things at once, especially two forms of content? So women are, are are different for sure. Or she just didn't want to watch the show. So yeah. So TikTok is the format right now.
0: I think TikTok is yeah, sort of the the center of. I I don't know. It's like I think the interesting things with TikTok will be to see do people get sort of tired of the mindless scroll aspect of it where I think like you, YouTube, I think is a little bit uh, more stable long-term because they just have so much valuable content about so many different things. Um, TikTok is definitely in the moment, but whether it ends up becoming a little fatty and like a fad could last, you know, five to seven years, but it's like, sure. is it, is it going to be around in 15 years and have the same weight? I, I would probably bet no on that right now um unless they they'll they'll need to evolve a little bit. They'll I need I, to evolve. I do yeah. think
1: it's harder to become Netflix if you're TikTok than it is for Netflix to buy their way down to TikTok. But that's a bet that I've made. I think it's easier f- that's why I'm long Google and Netflix over let's say at TikTok at today's prices because everybody's giving TikTok full value and they it's I think it's going to be hard for them to move in the other direction. Uh they have search and I think around, I just watch my sisters using it and, and talk about hashtag, I mean, my 60 year old sister, yep. I can't believe I'm saying I have a six year old sister, but we're getting old, is on TikTok about uh, recipes. So just I, my mind has been blown in the last year about how things have shifted. Uh, but I wanna have you back to talk about the cool down as, as you grow, How how big is the company right now? We're nine people. Uh, it's in, just starting.
0: Just starting in September, so we've been live for under three months. In September, we crossed uh, we crossed a million unique visitors on web wow. alone for the first time. So that that happened faster than I thought it would, and uh, and we're figuring out all sorts of really cool data things, um, especially on Instagram. Um, we have we now have like twelve or thirteen case studies where we've gotten quite a few people to. Um, to either sign up for services or, or to buy cleaner products. And um, we're like, there've actually been a bunch of people that have done it and we're, we're really early. So I am, I am very encouraged by the start. I think we're going to be able to scale this and we'll see what happens to the business long-term. I, I don't, I don't know, but um, I think there's quite a, quite a bit of scale on the audience and engagement side. And I think people are looking for help in these areas because they, there, there are plenty of people who might not understand sort of the dynamic around carbon emissions, and that might be a little overly sophisticated, but I'll, I'll tell you based on the data, there are a lot of people who feel guilty about throwing stuff away in the garbage and they want to be less wasteful. And we're, we're I think, going to figure out how to help people with that. So yeah, I'm, I'm pumped so far. It's been good.
1: All right. So two last things, uh, two of your investments that I, don't know, I circled here, Behave Candy, what is that? Uh, I didn't lead that one. It's a candy company. Okay. Yeah. True candy, like not like healthy candy I think it's, healthier, what is, it's healthier candy, yeah okay, so not, nothing fancy there oh, five iron golf fascinating. what what yeah. makes you invest in something that's like so physical and complicated, and I love the idea so so explain to people what five iron golf is
0: yeah, five iron golf is a um uh, it's a it's a f- a physical uh retail location where you go uh go and hit golf balls uh into a simulator. So you can go there and play Pebble Beach. You can go there and play, you know, Bighorn or like or whatever. Um they started off in New York City with a couple locations and then um raised some money to start expanding. And they the thing that they did that I thought was so, so clever is they figured out how to monetize their the retail space um for a huge percentage of the hours of the day, so they have people coming in, mostly in cold weather cities uh, or, or places where it's really expensive to play golf, um, to practice in the mornings. Then they have people mm-hmm. come in to take lessons. They have kids come in for group lessons, and they have they're making money sort of from six a.m. all the way on. They wow. they have they have leagues going on where players compete against people in leagues and other locations. And then that you get to the three to 4 PM and on window where you have corporate events just and Drunken people, animals. Exactly. And you make all the money on liquor and stuff. But I, I just, I loved the vibe that they created and I love that. Chuck E. The, Cheese for golf. Yeah. And it's, um, it's something I think can scale really, really well. Again, any, any place where it's it, the weather isn't great in the winter, any place where somebody wants to go play golf for an hour because they don't have five hours to go play golf and then they they opened their first international location earlier this year in Singapore because in Singapore it's really really expensive to go to go play golf and so I think there are different reasons why they can go into different markets but they're at almost they're at about fifteen locations now and uh, um, you know the margins are good and they're uh, they're they're going to be able to scale they also took a massive investment or a very large investment from Callaway in twenty.
1: Oh, 20- who did talk ex- ex- That's smart. Ex-
0: Exactly, and they—the great thing for those guys around so at the risk smart. of oversharing—is they. The great thing about about COVID for for somebody in that space that had money is they were able to lock in leases at really low prices. Um, so they, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't have people coming in at at the same rates at times, but they also, on the flip side, were uh, were able to get good long term deals. So, are those, they at
1: standalone or strip malls? Like, how big a place does it?
0: Make? Um. The locations really vary. I think the largest location is in Chicago. They have two spots in Chicago. I think the bigger spa- space is like twenty five thousand square feet. So it's oh, a pr- that's big. It's a pretty. It's a. And I think that one has. I may five get this big? wrong.
1: No, no, no. It has
0: over twenty bays.
1: Oh, that's a big investment. Okay, yeah. so that's that's ri- okay. Very interesting. And, they're, and they're, they're a private the, company.
0: They're a private did you do company? the seed investment? Uh, we did. Um, I don't know if they called it their seed or Series A. I think it was the first time they took outside capital, but I, I can't remember. We invested in it, it years ago. how did
1: you find it? Or how did uh, I to found
0: you. it? I found it through a friend of mine who was was looking at the deal and thought that that I'd be a good fit to. Uh, was it in. the
1: idea or the founder? Both.
0: Both the founder, yeah. the founder Jared is. Uh, you sort you sort of know a little bit. Does he like been golf? Founder, I think he he definitely likes golf, but he's not like he's not a golf junkie the way I am. I don't think he's a you know, I don't think he's playing in tournaments or anything. I think he's, he's a more casual golfer and they've like, they've done deals with Macklemore and like they're tapping into, uh, they're tapping into. It makes me so bullish on golf.
1: I've made a, you know, I was golf now, uh, investor, which, you know, we sold early to Comcast. Like we just, I don't know if I could do it over again, I wasn't running it. I was a large investor and we shouldn't have sold it, but I, you know, who knows? Like the world was different. Uh, it still controls the tea time space, but I am super bullish on golf. Not as a player, I, I, I don't love it; I, I can't get better anymore. But I, I, I feel like the fashion and tech in in the way they're coming at it from less than five hours is explosive. For and the and the and the people that do play it have money. Uh, generally, uh, I am pretty bullish on golf. So, are you would you look at other golf investments? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So. All right, so I've taken enough of your time. Um, this has been super fun. I, I don't know if I missed some stuff, um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're appreciative of your time, and we'll we'll follow on. P- the Cooldown is just like it's spelled, thecooldown.com, correct? Yeah,
0: thecooldown.com, or uh, find us on Instagram. We're launching a couple newsletters pretty soon here, and, uh, yeah, please check it out.
1: All right, buddy. Great to talk to you, and hopefully we'll team him up in the next year. Yeah,
0: I'll come see you in uh, Scottsdale at some point.
1: Come. You definitely will. have to come. I will. All right. All right. All right, buddy. Later. Thanks, Cheers. Well, that was fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, totally, you can tell, like, he has a good sense of humor, but, like, he's focused. Absolutely. Yeah. It, he really stood out to me, you know, when you spend long period of times with people on these type of trips. Yep. You know, there's the people that stand out and don't and he just found his his whole character Mm -hmm. uh, amusing and funny. And then so focused and you can see it in his golf game. Like you, you play golf a lot with me and we all had our style haunts and, and Morton and we all had our own style. Right. And, and that was kind of how we lived our life. You could just tell. And like him watching him play golf that one time I knew I was like, Oh God, this guy's like so intense. (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, it was 40 mile an hour winds and he was grinding over every shot. Ha. And I was in survival mode as the old man. But we had a tight match until 18. I was just worn out. But we. we so we, you're saying he beat you? Oh, yeah. yeah. But he was like, they were like three up with three to go. We were dormeed. But then we won a couple, like they had a win on 17 or 18 to to put it. And I was just like the, you know, and it was just like long. And I was just trying to get the ball in the hole type thing. And that works. Like, you know, when you're just focused on surviving, it's not about your swing or whatever. It's just get the fucking ball in the hole. And we we were close. Anyways, you are listening to Panic with Friends. uh, Knut and Howard, we talk with entrepreneurs, traders, investors. Um, trying to get a little step a- ahead. Like I said, I've been, I've been focused on what's coming ahead and I think climate is a, ma- you know, love it or hate the way people are talking about it. It's affecting everybody and that's a huge trend and uh, Dave is attacking it from a very broad media perspective and new angles of attack. So I think this is, this is stuff that is appealing to more people than you think already at a million unique. So uh, you can follow us at obviously my blog, howardlinzen.com or panic with friends, go to Google, Spotify, uh, YouTube, Apple, search panic with friends or Howard Linzen. Subscribe, you'll get one of these a week. Uh, Thanks, Knut. We'll see everybody next week. Howard Linzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of social leverage or stock twits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.